The reading from today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in um, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to teach each other the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit, a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is, made up, is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? 
Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So as Deanna said, this morning I'm speaking on the spiritual gifts, and I wasn't going to make any disclaimers at the start, but I think I have to, just because the spiritual gifts is obviously a very big topic. There's lots to be said about it, and I can't touch on all of that. So um, at the end of all of this, if you're still full of questions, there will be um, some options for you, including just coming and speaking to me. But um, please don't go away if there are burning questions you have that you don't feel like are answered. So in May this year, I was part of the annual Raggett Family Olive Harvest, which I'm sure some of you have been part of before. And it was a great day. There was uh, good company in a beautiful location and there was a great purpose. We were harvesting olives in order to make olive oil to fundraise for missions. And there is something really satisfying about working alongside others um, towards a common goal. Uh, It was encouraging to be there. It was encouraging to see everyone doing their bit and to see how people were welcomed. And perhaps next year you'll also be interested in getting involved because it was an open invitation. I did not earn an invitation based on my olive harvesting prowess. In fact, I had never harvested olives before, had no clue what I was doing, so I turned up ignorant of all olive harvesting things. I just happened to know some of the Raggett family just a little bit, and the invitation was extended to me. So when I got there, someone gave me a tool to use, and someone else showed me how to rake the olives off the branches, which is not what I would have thought you would do, but that's how they come off. Uh, And somebody else showed me how to empty the nets into the crates. Um, And as the day went on, I also asked and learned how to use these really cool electrical wand things that like flick the olives off the high branches. And so it didn't matter that I had no clue what I was doing because I didn't need to have done it before. I just turned up, contributed what I could and was willing to help. And that's what everybody else was doing as well. Some of us were harvesting the olives, actually, but others were entertaining the kids. Others were helping to get food ready for lunch. Others were carting the crates to the ute in order for them to go and be pressed. And others were, of course, overseeing the whole process. And I think, I'm guessing, that there were heaps of other things that were happening as well that I just had no idea about. And so there were lots of different tasks being done, all of them different, all of them necessary for achieving this ultimate goal of making olive oil. So on that day, those of us at the olive harvest were unified by olive harvesting things. Despite these different tasks, we had come together because of one family, we had one common goal, and we had the same opportunities and responsibilities, which weren't primarily based on our abilities, but on the fact that we had accepted the invitation and turned up. So if you've been around church over the last two months, then you'll know that our sermon series have covered Exodus and the Holy Spirit. And one of the overarching themes which I've noticed, and I think probably a lot of us have noticed, is the fact that there is this theme of the presence of God and the fact that God desires to be with his people and is with his people. So we've seen that in various ways, in in clouds and on the tops of mountains and in commandments and tabernacles and, of course, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And today, in looking at the spiritual gifts, we're also looking at the way that God chooses to draw near to his people through his body, which is the church. 
So when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, what we've read in 1 Corinthians 12, and you might want to have it open in front of you as I go through, it compares in some ways to the olive harvest and what I've told you about the olive harvest, and I'll explain how. All who follow Jesus have accepted a non-exclusive invitation from the one triune God. This is like the open invitation from the Raggett family to join in the harvest. And this invitation is an invitation to participate in God's good work. It is towards a particular goal and it is a shared task. So the good work, the good news, uh, the good work is sharing the good news of Jesus. The goal is to enter eternal life with God and the shared task is growing the body of Christ, bringing people into the church. And in order to do this, there are some particular tools given to people which we call spiritual gifts. These tools are distributed at the discretion of the owner, um, not, not actually based on our abilities or our social status or any of those things. And all of the gifts are necessary for achieving the end goal. And in the same way that at the olive harvest there was a sense of solidarity that was created as we were working together, when every Christian uses the spiritual gifts that they've been given, it also creates unity and strengthens the community of the church, which benefits everyone within the church, but also extends outside of that. And also, just as there were a whole lot of tasks that needed to be done at the Olive Harvest, and some of them I didn't know about, we can't always define the spiritual gifts in a hard and fast way. So the underlying assumption, of course, when we're talking about spiritual gifts is that we are spiritual beings and that there is a spiritual realm. I'm not sure what conversations you've had in the community, but I've certainly had conversations with people who believe that there is no spiritual aspect to humanity or life at all, that we are purely physical, biological beings. Or... On the other hand, there are people that I've spoken to, and perhaps you have as well, who will accept that we are spiritual beings and that there is some kind of spiritual realm, but they don't distinguish or cannot distinguish between any type of spirit, and they won't understand that not all spiritual things are good or from God. But if we look at Ephesians 6.12, we hear that our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we know that we are in a spiritual battle and that some spiritual things are truly harmful to us. And I think we saw a bit of this when we were talking about or when we heard about the golden calf in Exodus. We saw this golden calf was a voiceless idol but despite the fact that it had no physical power, it ended up being fatally destructive, fatally problematic for the Israelites. And perhaps a more contemporary example of this would be somebody that goes to see a psychic. Um, it's possible that a spirit is working through that psychic and does reveal some aspect of, of a future for that person. And that is enticing to us because who doesn't want to know what's coming around the corner? Who wouldn't like to know what's in store for us? But what's actually happening in those circumstances is that in that spiritual realm, spirits are working to distract people from the true and only truly powerful God. They don't reveal anything about the true God. 
And therefore, not all spiritual things are good. And so it is good for us to be informed about spiritual things as God sees them. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, we get quite a lot of information about the spiritual gift and like more than I can, I can speak about today, but it is a really useful passage for us to consider. And of course, the obvious place to start is that spiritual gifts come from God, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so in verses 4, 5, and 6, we see Paul use the language of Spirit, but then also Lord and God, and he uses them kind of synonymously. So he's saying these spiritual things are from the God who is three in one. And then in verse 7, Paul says that the spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, an embodiment of the Holy Spirit. And this is so important in our understanding of the spiritual gifts, because this is why we call them gifts. It's because these are things that God is choosing to work through people. It's not based on our abilities. It is a gift bestowed on us by God. And in Romans 12, Paul calls them graces towards us. So hopefully, if you stop and think about this idea that it is a manifestation of God through Christians, then you'll actually get a sense of excitement about this. The God who created all things is ready and willing to express himself through his followers. Just think, whatever astounding things you've read about or heard about in the Bible, whether it's healing or raising the dead or parting the Red Sea, could potentially be done through us because it is the same God that is at work. And in fact, Jesus said to his disciples in in John's gospel that the one who believed him would do even greater works than he had done. But do you believe it? Because I know in saying this that in our day-to-day reality, we may not see miraculous, inexplicable things happening around us. That is not my everyday experience, and I'm assuming for most of us it's not, not yours either. But I think we need to be open to this, and the reason is because God doesn't change. What we've seen in the Bible is possible because it is not us that does these things, it is God that chooses to do them, and so whatever God can do in the past, what he has done in the past, he can do now and in the future. The other reason that we should be open to it is because God is actually moving powerfully around us, even if it doesn't seem to be super frequent. And if you were to stop and ask each other what you have experienced God doing by the Spirit in your lives, I think we would actually be surprised and really encouraged to hear what God is doing. Um, Last Tuesday in our community group, some of us did this. We stopped and we shared some of our experiences of the way that we had seen God move And it was, at least for me, it was really encouraging. Between us, we had experienced various things of God that we couldn't attribute to anything else. We had experienced God physically moving us. We had witnessed God driving out demons. We had experienced miraculously unexpected and very generous um, donations of money at times of, of great financial need. We had experienced specific words spoken by strangers who were just speaking in faith that spoke into situations and that confirmed decisions we were making or that gave us a great sense of confidence that God knew the details of our lives and was interested in them. So God does move miraculously, powerfully around us when we stop to pay attention to it and we stop to hear what he's doing. 
Our experiences testify to this, that God is willing and able to work through us. But of course, the question that arises from that is then, if God is willing, then why does he not always seem to do so? This is a really important question. If we're praying for someone to be healed, why do we not always see them healed? What is God doing in that? Is God just not listening? Is God not able? And I think that we have to understand this in um, the bigger context of what God is doing in history. So we know that in God's plan, he has set a time, an unknown time, in which he is giving people an opportunity to return to him, to turn back from their sins and um, to spend eternity with him. Because when Jesus comes again, there will be a final judgment. This is something that we have accepted, that we know to be true. And at that judgment, those who have ignored or rejected God will be cut off, will be separated from his goodness. And so there is this period of waiting for Jesus to return. And in this period of time, the devil still has some power and there are still struggles, still spiritual battles being fought. And in this, in this time, the devil is undermining God and what God is doing and trying to undermine us as well. So while his ultimate power, the devil's ultimate power, is not um, lasting, we still experience aspects of that today. And that is why we don't always see things uh, happen or always see God come in in the way that we would like to. And so because there are these struggles happening, we do need reminders that God is true and powerful. We need reminders of what Jesus has done and that God's power does actually extend over all situations. And this is why, when you look at John's Gospel, we hear very clearly the reason that the Holy Spirit has been sent. It is to strengthen us and encourage us as believers in our faith, and it is to remind us of what God has done, and it is to convince the world of the truth of Jesus. And this is the Spirit coming to give us comfort and support and strength as we wait for Christ to return. And so the spiritual gifts, which are the Spirit of God working through believers, also need to be understood as part of that purpose and, and as a way of um, strengthening and encouraging the church and convincing the world of the truth that Jesus is Lord. That is part of how we understand what the spiritual gifts are and how we use them. And so um, for a lot of us, we may have heard about spiritual gifts before. It might be something that you've heard repeatedly in churches across years. And I think our tendency can either be to get super focused on our experience of spiritual gifts or just to ignore them completely and kind of forget that they are important and desirable. So if we allow ourselves to think about it, we do realise that these spiritual gifts are an amazing blessing to us. They are God working through people, through us in the body of Christ, in order to continue the work that we have agreed to be part of, the invitation that we've accepted, and they encourage and strengthen us as we wait for Christ to return. But of course, if we say God is the one that does the work, then you have to ask as well, what is my part in the gifts? Well, the first thing, or it's the last thing in our passage really, but the first thing is that we are encouraged to eagerly desire or seek the gifts. And Paul says particularly the greater gifts. So if we can ask for these gifts, if God is saying, ask me and I will give you gifts, and God is infinite in wisdom, and we say that he is good and perfectly loving, then why wouldn't we ask for these things? We know that God is good. We've accepted him as our Lord. We want to be part of his kingdom. So why aren't we taking advantage 
of the things that he is giving us. These spiritual gifts are not burdens. They're not another thing to have to take on, another thing to have to do, but they are things that God is giving us to strengthen us in life and in order to achieve our goal of ultimately being with God in eternity. Um, Because there are potentially lots and lots of spiritual gifts, some of which have been defined in our passage, but there are more than that, it is... um, not not possible really to define them and also because they're not exact things it's hard to define them so I'm not actually going to spend much time speaking about what the specific gifts are which hopefully doesn't seem like an oversight Um, but I do want to highlight a few things that we learn about them in this passage so uh, if you look you can see that in verses 8 to 10 in this passage and verse 28 gives us particular sort of lists of gifts and within them we can see that sometimes God in the gifts chooses to move through our intellect sometimes it comes through actions and sometimes it comes through our speech so the way that God chooses to manifest kind of is multifaceted it doesn't come through any particular thing but it can actually come through all aspects of what we are and what we do the second thing is just an important kind of disclaimer that it is possible to be wise or to have faith without it being a spiritual gift. And in fact, we assume all Christians have faith. It doesn't mean that all Christians have a gift of faith. They are distinct ideas. Um, So when we say that people have a spiritual gift or that's a spiritual gift, it's saying that God is supernaturally empowering something. So it's actually something that's kind of a a greater measure of something or um, an ability to to hold firm in faith or to trust in God in a situation where other people would would struggle to trust, perhaps. And uh, the third thing is that these lists of spiritual gifts that we see in this passage are not exhaustive lists. So as I've said, um, this is some idea of the sorts of things that God can do in the way that God chooses to give people, but it's certainly not um, a complete list. And actually, even though there are different points in the Bible where it will list different gifts, none of them, even compiled, make up a complete list of gifts. Because as I said, God is able to work through like any aspect of what it means to be human. And so... These are just to kind of guide our thinking around some of the things that God might be doing. Paul's purpose in this chapter is not actually to define all the gifts. It's it's to show that it doesn't matter what gift it is that God chooses to give us. Every gift is necessary and useful for the functioning of the church. So without defining all of the spiritual gifts... Um, I still do encourage you and would like you to be working out what you think your gifts might be. And I say your gifts, but we obviously mean the gifts that God is working through us. And because we want you to be encouraged by these, we want you to know what they are, be encouraged by them and be able to use them for the strengthening of the church. And we did actually put a link in our weekly email this week, which, which will lead you to a spiritual gift survey online. It's not the only one that exists. Um, we haven't put it up there thinking that it's the best one that exists. It is just a link to a spiritual gift survey. It is free and it is a starting point for you. If you haven't uh, thought about what your spiritual gifts might be and you want to, or it's been a long time since you've thought about it and you want some refreshing on that, then they're an online survey. It just gives you some questions that you answer and it helps to start the ball rolling to think about what it might be that God is working through you. Um, If you do choose to do that, 
and I would encourage you to, but if you do choose to do that, then I would also encourage you to speak about that with your community group or with um, a Christian friend or leader that you trust. Um, the survey is not a final answer and it's not the only way of working out what it is that God is equipping you to do. And the insight and wisdom of people around you is often a really helpful way of working out what it is that God is doing through you. In fact, it's probably a really necessary way. Um, and for someone to affirm something, to say, yeah, I can see that in you is actually really encouraging. So um, if you do that survey, or even if you don't, if you've been working in somewhere in ministry and you know that somebody's had a lot of chance to see you, they might be able to say to you, I think this is something that God is doing through you. So I would encourage you also to be speaking to people about what your gifts might be. Um, the third thing is that in August, our teaching night will be around spiritual gifts as well. So that will be another opportunity uh, for you to be um, discussing, hearing a bit more about what different spiritual gifts look like, how they might manifest, what, what it might look like, and um, how to go about kind of working that out in a more kind of detailed way. And so uh, hopefully those opportunities, even though I'm not going to talk about or define gifts in a, in a really clear way, hopefully that will give you some points to start at, to work from. But regardless of what it is that your spiritual gift might be, all of them are given by the Holy Spirit at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. So um, we might ask that we will have the gift of healing. doesn't mean that we will get it. We might ask that we will have the gift of teaching. doesn't mean that we will get it. Um, but we can ask for them. But we have to trust that God, who is wiser than us, when he gives us gifts, is doing that for a reason. And we, we should be willing to accept whatever that, um, that gifting is. And we can also trust that God, in giving those gifts, is not doing it based on um, my abilities, what I'm good at, what I think I'm capable of, what I'm phys physically able to do. Um, we see in uh, verses 12 and 13, it talks about the fact that there is no uh, Jew or Gentile or slave or free. They are not the things that the social structures, the social understanding of what is good or powerful is not what God is using when he decides to give us gifts. Um, so where the world is using uh, our birthright or our health or our wealth or whatever it is to, to decide who gets honour and who doesn't, the thing that God says is if you are baptised, if you are united to the body of Christ, then you will be given gifts. That is all that it takes. To be a Christian is to have the spirit in you and to receive spiritual gifts. So I think... Um, it's very easy to let our own opinions or understandings of what we are good at, what we're capable of, to cloud our understanding of how God will use us and how God will work through the spiritual gifts, but that is something that we shouldn't do, um, which isn't to say that God... I'm sure, like at the Olive Harvest, there were things that I was not given to do, so I wasn't given the task of driving the four-wheel motorbike, and that's probably wise, um, but in trusting that God knows us and knows what we're capable of, even though there are certain tools we, we are not given, we have to trust that God probably has a reason for that. And it might be because he doesn't want us to get proud or it might be because we just don't have enough um, of an understanding. And I think there is a, um, a capacity to keep coming back to God and saying, you know, this is something that I want. Can you give this to me? But we always have to be willing to submit to whatever God, God's choice is. So however God chooses to work through us and whatever gifts we are given, Paul makes it very clear in this passage, in sort of the whole second half of it, that every part 
of the body of Christ is essential for the healthy functioning of the body. It's not a hard analogy to understand. In fact, in some ways, Paul's logic in this description of the body is quite comical, and it reminded me of... um, It reminded me of Jim Owen's detachable toe, if anybody remembers that, or Adam's family and thing. Like, these are things that, like, people have gone, that is just a ridiculous idea that a part of the body can kind of function on its own. And Paul's done it first. And, in fact, I think he drew from someone else in ancient Greek history or something. It is just a ridiculous idea that a body can function without a particular part, that a part can function without the body. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, would it, for that reason, stop being part of the body? The answer is, of course not. So trying to function without part of our body is ridiculous. We know that if you don't have a leg, you need something to replace it. You need a crutch or a prosthetic. If you lose your hearing or your sight, it takes huge adjustments to get used to living and doing the daily things. If our kidneys stop functioning, you have to go and have a machine filter your blood clean for you because you cannot function without your kidneys. Every part of the body is necessary, and we laugh at the idea of a foot saying, I don't need you, to the body. But actually, it gets a little bit harder when we're then told to apply this directly to ourselves, which is exactly what Paul is doing. Each of us, as Christians, and the gifts that we have been given as Christians are necessary for the functioning of the church. So this is an encouragement, but it is also a challenge. And it's a challenge because at the moment, at a time when so much of the public image of the church is negative, it is hard to say, that is my body, I am part of that church. Like, sometimes we just don't want to own that. But I cannot disown my hand. I cannot say, I don't like it, I don't want it, it's not mine. It is clearly part of me. And in the same way, we as members of the church have to be willing to accept that there are parts of the church that we don't like, but they are still part of our body. I don't always understand what all the bits of my body are doing. And I'm a nurse, so I've got a pretty good idea. The appendix, like what on earth is the appendix doing in our body? Nobody really seems to know. The point is, you don't have to know what it's doing to accept that it's a necessary part of your body. So this is the same for the broader church and our place in the church, being able to say, I am part of the church, I am a necessary part of the church, as is that person or that group of people. And at the same way, inversely, I guess, we cannot say that we and our gifts are not important in the functioning of the church or that we have nothing to contribute. Our contribution is not insignificant. Verse 17 says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? God has intentionally placed you and me in the church with whichever gifts he's chosen to give us. And one part of the reason that Paul tells us in this passage is that God intends to remove division and bring unity through the spiritual gifts. Um, So this is from like verses 22 to 26, if you're following. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. So without getting hung up on whether we're one of the presentable or unpresentable parts of the body, whether you're the bladder or the bicep, uh, notice that while our culture tends to praise the strong and the powerful and the impressive and neglect the weak and the awkward and the sick, in the body of Christ, the spiritual gifts help to unify us. They help to level that playing ground, I guess. So the spiritual gifts, Paul says, are given in order to help us care for each other because as we do so, we are united in God's work rather than being divided by differences that actually don't matter in God's kingdom. We need to use the spiritual gifts, and as we do so, we are strengthened as the body of Christ. So these spiritual gifts certainly have a shared benefit. They are for the common good. But this isn't to say or ignore the fact that they also do have a personal benefit. And um, if you are wanting to think about this more, in chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about the difference between tongues and prophecy. And what he says uh, is that Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies or improves themselves. And he follows this by saying, I would like every one of you to have tongues as a gift. But he also says, but I would rather you have prophecy because prophecy edifies the church. So he is making the distinction between a gift that is strengthening you individually and a gift that is strengthening the whole church. And he says, yeah, go for the one that's strengthening you. But if you're asking, like, ask for the one that's got a bigger purpose. So this, when he gives the list in verse 28 of gifts and says, first apostle, second teacher, blah, 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 and and seems to rank them, this is what he's saying when he's talking about the greater gifts and seeking the greater gifts. He's saying, seek the gifts that actually have a broader um, encouraging, a a broader purpose, um, and not just focusing on the ones that are going to individually strengthen you. So the best way of working out what your gift might be, and this is probably something you've heard before, is through getting involved in the church. As we serve in the church in in whatever way, it makes space for God to move through us, to show us what it is that he wants to do through us. But irrespective of whether we know what our spiritual gifts are or not, we still all need to be contributing to the church. Um, And perhaps a helpful way of thinking about this, without it becoming just a burdensome idea, is to think about the fact that the church is like a household. So in a household, there are always chores or tasks that need to be done. It's just the way it is. And those chores or tasks are things that nobody really likes doing and nobody's necessarily particularly good at. Like, honestly, who has the gift of putting out the bins? Like, it might be that someone does, but chances are it's just a thing that needs to be done. There are always things that we need to do. There needs to be food made. There needs to be bins put out. There needs to be kids looked after. Like these are just the everyday things that go into running a house. And we don't have to like them. We don't have to be gifted at them. And we will have to make some sacrifices of time and money for these things. It doesn't mean that we don't benefit from doing them. And in fact, in doing those everyday things, we benefit, but actually so does anyone else who comes into our house. And it is the same with the running of a church. We don't want you to sit back and go, well, I haven't worked out what my spiritual gift is, so I'm just not getting involved. 
because that doesn't really float. But also, um, on the flip side, as a kid, the chores that you were given are generally like not quite as burdensome and somebody will probably fill in the gaps. So we understand there are times in our life where things will not be, where we will not have the same freedom to do things. We cannot serve in the same way. Um, but, but just keep balancing that with the fact that as we are in a place and as we learn about it and grow in it, there is a need for us to share, share the load. Um, and also more importantly, or perhaps just more excitingly, as we do these things, as we do the things that seem kind of insignificant in these acts of service, we do get to see, we do learn what it is that our spiritual gifts might be as well. And so the necessary question, I guess, um, is what is the spiritual gift that you have been given, gift or gifts? Are you open to God working through you? And how are you contributing to the harvest? And if you don't know then why not? Is it that you need to accept Jesus' invitation? You might not be a Christian, and if you would like to be, then that is the first step to being able to be part of the body of Christ and working towards God's good purposes. And so if that is where you're at, then uh, you can speak to me or Pete after the service, or there'll be people praying up the front here, and you can come and pray with them and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. And that is a very good first step for working out what your spiritual gifts are. Are you unsure what your gifting might be? Then the first thing to do is to pray, asking the Spirit to show you. Um, But you can also, as I said, do that spiritual gift survey online. Uh, You can speak to Pete or to myself or to Beck or to your community group leader or to any other Christian that you know. Um, And then, of course, you can attend the teaching night in August as well and continue thinking about it. Do you doubt your abilities? then remember, it isn't about your abilities. It is about the fact that you are united to Christ and that God wants to work through you. You are an essential part of this church. God is not limited in what he can do through you. And the spiritual gifts are designed to encourage and strengthen us, not to be burdensome. They are things that are desirable, not horrible. And so I would invite you to be thinking about what your spiritual gifts are and to be asking God to show you what they might be. So I'm going to finish by praying. Powerful God, Father, Son and Spirit, we thank you that you have restored our relationship with you and that you now live and work in us by your Spirit. Guide us into your truth. Give us an eagerness to receive any gift you want us to have and make us open to you, working through us by your spirit. Strengthen our faith and your church through us so that you will be properly honoured. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and by your Holy Spirit. Amen.